Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Um, we're we're going to finish up our time together um, talking about what it means to fight for the mission of God. And it's really important as, as we really put these components together now of our, that our lives should be centered completely on the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. And that because we have been saved by a gospel of grace, you and I now stand as men who are godly, redeemed saints, who have purpose in our homes, with our wives and with our children and in our community. Which then leads ultimately to then how you and I as men of God in our context here of Albuquerque, Santa Fe, northern New Mexico as a whole, really fight and work out the mission of God in our lives. Now that's, that's where we're headed this, this afternoon. Finish up with some Q&A and we'll send you guys home. But here's what you have to understand. Is that all that the church is about corporately and all that you should be working for individually is the to advance the mission of God. That's what we've been put here to do. And you need to know that Jesus when he came to this earth was all about the father's mission. Some 40 times in the gospel of John alone, he says something to the effect that I have not come to do my own will, but the will of my Father who has sent me. And I want to share just a couple of these with you so you you guys can get the gist of what's taking place, and then we'll move on into our text this afternoon. I want you to turn first of all with me to John chapter 5, verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. Now, Jesus says this. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we see here that that Jesus says, I I haven't come here to accomplish my own task, my own purpose. He says, but I am on a mission, and I've come to accomplish and complete that mission. Skip ahead just one chapter with me to John chapter 6. And I want to focus your attention in John chapter 6 on verse 38. Again, Jesus speaking. Notice what he says here. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do what? My own will, but the will of him who sent me. These are but two of many instances where Jesus says something to this effect, that he is on a mission from God the Father himself. And it ultimately culminates, and I want you to skip ahead with me to John chapter 17, where Jesus prays this high priestly prayer in the garden, beginning in verse 1. He begins in this manner. Notice what he says. He says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now check this out. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Wow. So in verse 3, we see that, that Jesus proclaims that again, he's come to give eternal life to all whom that God wills and, and, and to believe in Jesus whom God has sent to us. And then he says, I've accomplished that, God. I've glorified you through the work you have given me. So we see that Jesus has is, is come on mission by the Father, but it doesn't end there. As a matter of fact, you know what the Bible says? It, it, after Jesus' resurrection, in the very same book of John, I want you to go to John chapter 20, and I want to focus your attention on John 20, verse 21. Jesus is now risen from the grave, and he's appeared to his disciples. We'll pick up in verse 19, go through verse 21, and it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now check this out. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Jesus now includes us, the church, the bride, on the very same mission that the Father has sent him on. In Matthew's gospel, right before the ascension of Christ, Jesus says, now that all authority has been given to me, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We now too are a church, a group of people that have been called out from the world and sent on the very mission of God. And the mission that God sent us on is the same mission that he sent Jesus on. And that is to so live our lives so conspicuously that we bring him glory. Jesus said it this way, and I want you to turn back in your Bibles to Matthew. We're going to be doing some flipping this afternoon, so if you ate a heavy lunch, this should work it off. Matthew chapter 5. In the great Sermon on the Mount... He says this in verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to who? Your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do. To restore the glory that was lost in the garden by our first father, Adam. And now he sends us, the bride of Christ, to reflect that glory in this lost and dying world as we live our lives. Paul knew this far too well. And Paul embraced the mission of God that he had sent him on in a very big way. 
Paul broke it down this way in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 for your notes. He says it this way, in whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, right? But do you know what he says after that? Check this out, I want you to see this. He says the reason why we should live this way is we live our lives to bring God's glory is he says this. In verse 32, he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. He says, I live my life in whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, I'm doing all to the glory of God, and I'm not trying to give offense to Jew or to Greek, and I'm doing it all not for my own advantage, but so that people are saved. So we live our lives to the glory of God so that the world looking in sees God, his glory and goodness and comes to faith and relationship in him. We need to fight for this mission. We need to look at our lives and advance this mission in every way that we can. We need to let our light so shine before the people in our homes, our wives and our children, that they see our good works and give glory to God. I'm a product of that. If any of you read the blog that was posted by Mars Hill and Desert Springs, I'm a testament to this. Like you said, like I told you this morning, I grew up in a home that was deeply religious, Roman Catholic. It was full of tradition. But my home was also filled with violence. My dad was, I, I, I praise God that I can say that he was a very violent man. I, I honestly cannot count how many times I watched my dad just lay dudes down. I mean, he was an iron worker and he was just, he, he's flat out mean. My, give, just give you an idea. My dad's 76 years old, still rides a motorcycle, but he loves Jesus. And, and God's grace is evident across his life. But I'll tell you right now, I still wouldn't mess with him. And half the dudes in my church won't either. Like my dad doesn't, they're like, hey, yeah, you're good. But it's, it's serious. I, I, I watched my dad do very violent things to, to, to men. I mean, just literally wreck them. And that violent, that violent attitude, the, those violent tendencies were sometimes turned on us as kids, never on his wife. You know, some of you, I, I, you know, again, I'm not trying to play stereotypes, but some of you guys grew up with spankings and timeouts. That wasn't me. I have the word red wing tattooed right here on my butt, not because like how Carlos did that out of Bud Light. This is my dad just patow. Just a violent dude. But then I saw God grab a hold of his heart and all the violence is gone. And there's love. Like for you to meet my dad now, you'd never know him. You'd never know, recognize him for the man he once was. I've seen the work of God. I've seen him, how he lives his life now. And I go, there is a God. Thank you, Father. I give you glory for the work that you've accomplished in my father's life. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus says that we're to live the same way. That our wives and our children should see the evidences of God's grace and the gospel lived out continually in our lives so that they give glory to God as well. 
so that people are saved, that lives are impacted. That's how we advance the mission of God. But here's the thing. Paul says it this way in in 2 Timothy. In, In his swan song, he says, I have fought that good fight. And I too have finished the race. Just as Jesus has accomplished the work of God that he was sent for, Paul says, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. And now I look forward to the prize that's been laid up for me. We too have to be able to say the same thing one day. That we fought the fight as godly men and godly husbands and that we finished our race that we've advanced the gospel, that we've pressed into our communities and and really have have literally made impacts and inroads for Jesus' name. Well, how do we do that? Paul gives us that insight, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this afternoon. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you're in chapter 11, just flip over one page. Beginning in verse 24... Where we're picking up in the middle of the context here. But Paul is talking about how he has lived in all humility, whether with Jews or with Greeks, so to advance the gospel, and so that people are saved and that lives are impacted. And so we pick up in verse 24 when he says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. He says, here's what you need to know. Everyone who's running in a race, they're all gonna run, but only one receives the prize. He says, so run that you may obtain it. He says, we need to run the race of our lives, this race that God has so set before you and I individually, and we need to run our race in a way that at the end of it, we receive the prize. We have to do this. And notice what it says. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive an imperishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So now he tells us why we need to run the race and why we need to win. He says, we need to run the race and we need to run in a way that we receive the prize because what's waiting for us at the finish line is imperishable, it's eternal. It's something that will never fade in glory and it can never be taken away. He says, so run your race to receive an imperishable crown, an imperishable prize. And he says, just look at natural men. They do these things, they discipline their bodies to receive this wreath that's here today and gone next week. But you should discipline your bodies and have discipline in your lives to receive a crowd that will never fade in glory and never be taken away. And then notice what he says. So I do not run aimlessly. Because I have a goal in mind, I have a race to run, I have a finish line to cross. He says, I'm not running aimlessly. One way that this can be translated is I am not meandering. Now, being from Santa Fe, we have the wonderful privilege of having tons of tourists come through our city. And it's easy to spot the tourists if you ever go downtown. 
And it's not because they're wearing the funky shorts and the floral shirt and they had the camera around their neck and the sunblock on their nose. Now, that's obvious. But it's easy to spot the tourist insanity because the way they walk. They really have no place to be. They're just kind of meandering from gallery to store, from shop to food. And, and you spot them. They're just like, oh. What's... People from Santa Fe who, who are working downtown, they usually have to park blocks away from where they work. And so it's like, I got to be somewhere. I got a job to do. I have something to do. They have their head down. They're focused on where they're going. That's the picture that's being painted here. He says, I run my race in a way that I'm not just wandering aimlessly. I'm not meandering through life. You know what I'm talking about? There are people that are good at meandering. And I love my wife to death, but she's one of them. (laughs) My wife is disciplined in many areas of her life, but take her shopping, and I, I really understand the meaning of this verse. See, I'm more of the hunt and kill type shopper, right? I need jeans. I need t-shirt. I need socks. I know where they're at in the store. I know what store I want to go to. Park the car. Go in the door. Left, right, left. There they are. I don't even try clothes on, right? I'll try them on at home. And if somehow they messed up on the sizes because it's a little too small, because obviously I never gained any weight, I'll take them back. But I don't even try clothes on. I go and I'm out. My wife, she hits the front door of a store and it's like, let's go here. Well, what are we looking for there? I don't know. I just want to see what's there. And just kind of meandering from rack to rack and aisle to aisle. It's like, well, do you know what you need? Oh, I know exactly what I need. Well, let's go get that. Well, no, not yet. (laughs) Just looking. Just looking. But so many of us as Christians walk through life that way. My dad used to tell me constantly, hey, what are you aiming for? Where's your life going? And then he usually follows up with saying, you know that if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Yeah, dad. What are you aiming for, Carlos? Where are you headed? So so let me ask you this. What mission has God called you to? You, specifically. Where are you headed? What has God called you to? And how are you working to advance that calling? Where are you headed? Are you just meandering right now? Hey, it's okay to take breaks and and, and to pull back and evaluate and examine and pray. It's not okay to kind of go, just, "Ah, I think I'm going to try this. That was me. Baby Christian, I think I want to be worship leader. But you don't play instruments. Yeah, that's not a good idea. You know, I, I want to try that. No, I just kind of just wondering. I knew God was calling me, but I was trying to do everything but that in some senses because I knew the responsibility, the weight that it carried. And for, the, for a good few part of my early Christian years, just kind of wandering. Paul says, I'm running my race and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm running with purpose. Do you have purpose? Let me ask you this. Do you have a personal mission statement for your life? I go, wow, that's... Some of you going, personal mission statement for my life? I mean, I know I have one at my work, and I think our church has one. But do I have one? Yeah. Do you have a personal mission statement for your life? Have you spent time with God alone? 
in silence and solitude and praying, God, what is it that you have for my life? What do you have me to do here? And then from that, develop a mission statement that is going to really lead out in your life. You should. It helps to set the focus and the course of your life, the direction. God's free to move and direct any way that he pleases. But now we're aiming for something. Paul says, I'm running my race in a way that I'm aiming for something. I'm not just wandering. I'm not running aimlessly. There's an end in, in, in sight. And then notice what he says next. He says, I do not box as one beating the air. I love what one paraphrase says. I'm not just shadow boxing. We all know what that is, right? We're from New Mexico, right? We got Johnny Tapia. We got all these dudes here that, that we lo- know, love, follow. And see, one time when I shared this, people were like, wow, I didn't know that. But you all know, as I know, there's two ways to lose a fight. The first way is to come out cold, right? You see a fighter come into the ring or come into the cage, and he's bone dry. You're going, "Uh uh-oh, didn't warm up. Didn't warm up. He's going to have to warm up in the ring, and that's not the place to warm up. He's going to get smoked. But then another way to lose a fight is you see a guy that comes into the cage or to the ring and he's just glowing with sweat. And you're going, oh no, this guy's overheated. He threw all the punches and kicks in the locker room. There's going to be nothing left in the tank when it comes time for the real fight. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm running with purpose and I have a real enemy that I need to fight. So I'm saving my punches for the war. I'm not just beating the air. I'm not just striking out aimlessly. My punches even have purpose. The fight that I'm engaged in has purpose. I don't just beat the air. And we need to hear that. Because we too, again, involved in in many battles. We've talked about it this morning. And we must throw every punch with purpose. And, And notice how he says it. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. That's like the Christian version. The literal version of that is I pummel my body. I pummel my body and make it a slave. I pummel my body and I make it a slave lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. Wow. I live my life with discipline. I even live my life physically with discipline so that I'm constantly on mission, advancing the gospel the way God has called me to do. For some of you, that's going to be as fathers and husbands, as bankers, as, as trashmen, as policemen to advance the gospel. And we need to live lives of discipline. Not that, 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 that that's the end result, but that's part of making sure that we can say at the end, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. We live our lives with discipline. Because again, our enemy, the devil, wants to distract us from the mission. He, he wants to pull our focus from the mission that God has called us to to kind of what Paul's talking about, wandering aimlessly and fighting the air. And he does that by changing our perspective and distracting us from the mission of God. 
He's crafty at this. This morning we looked at Matthew chapter 4. And seeing how, how Satan tempted our Lord and Savior Jesus. I want to go back now to Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you something. In Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are living in perfection. And this serpent shows up and begins to speak to Eve. Start in verse 1 and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, now notice, how, notice how this is written. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Is that what God had said? No. That's not at all what God had said. As a matter of fact, God had said the exact opposite, didn't he? He said, of every tree of the garden, you may freely partake in except this tree. This tree is off limits. Big difference, right? But notice how Satan so craftily changes the perspective of Eve. He takes her focus, her attention, her perspective on all that God has provided in the mission that he's called them to, to tend and to keep the garden, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to the one thing that she could not have. Did God say you couldn't have all this? Really, actually? Did he say that? And and notice Eve. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. Is that what God said? No. He can't eat of the tree. He never said anything about touching it. Probably not wise to touch that tree. But he never said anything like this. And so we see that, that Eve begins to change God's word just as Satan does. And then notice what Eve, I mean Satan does flat out. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He flat out denies God's word. And then check this out. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What tree are we talking about now? The one tree they couldn't have. Now we've shifted from all that God has provided to the one thing that he hasn't provided and he begins to twist her thinking and then notice what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the rest, as you know, is history. But notice how crafty Satan was in taking Adam and Eve off the mission of God. Has God said you can't eat of all this? Well, no, no, no. He didn't say we can't eat of all this. He says we can't eat of that. Oh, let's talk about that. Because you see, God knows that in the day you take of that, you're going to be like him. Now all of this that God has provided is a distant memory. And now the focus, the perspective is only on this. And the fall is sure to come. He does the same thing in, your, in our life today. We, we wanna, if you want to be taken off mission, mission, 
We want to stop the advancement of, of the gospel mission in our lives is when we become distracted in this way, when our perspective is changed from all that God has to the things that we can. This happens in a number of ways. For you single dudes that are out there, it can become in the sense where you're solely focused on marriage. Sure, God may have a wife for you and, and he will bring her in his time. But instead of focusing on the wife that's coming one day from God, we need to also focus on everything that he also has provided here and now today in your life and how we can advance the mission of God in our lives today and trust that God, if he's provided a wife, will bring her in her time. <laughs> Married men, you know that this, this works itself out on a number of fronts and in a number of ways where it's so subtle that the enemy can take our focus on all that God has provided onto the things that he hasn't, right? I have five kids and those kids have friends. And so we own a very large van. And it's foolish for me to go over to the, to the car dealership and look at the brand new convertible Camaro. Go, oh man, I'd really love one of those. Right now, that's not what God has provided. Maybe in the future one day when the kids are grown, that'd be wonderful. But if I spend all my time focused on these minor petty things, I'm taking my eyes off all that he has, my beautiful wife and my beautiful children. And, and this is just a, an earthly example of, of many examples that we could work through and that are going through in your mind and in your heart right now. But one way that we stop advancing the mission, that we start to wander aimlessly is by losing our perspective of what God has provided when he calls you to mission and to advance it the way he's called you to serve him. The other way is sin. And that's why, again, we must be quick to repent. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, repentance gets us right back on mission. Let, let me challenge you with another question. Do you know your church's mission statement? And what part do you see yourself playing in that mission? See, whatever we do, we should be about advancing the mission of God at home, at work, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities. We live to bring God glory. See, so many times we think that, that one of the only ways that people can bring God glory is through public preaching or, or worship or and many of the public gifts that we see happen on, in, in church services. But the fact of the matter is that there's more glory being revealed in your lives on the ground in a street level way as people see you, the ups, the downs, the good and the bad and go, wow, there is a God. I used to know Carlos before he was a Christian. I knew what he was like. And God has changed his life. How do I know that God? Does your life have purpose? Are you running the race with purpose? Is there a goal in mind? What are you doing to discipline your body, your spiritual life, your physical life, your financial life to accomplish that purpose and that mission?
We should be thinking this way, men. We should be thinking this way. In a day and age where the world is allowing men to prolong their maturity and to spend hours on video games and internet chat rooms, we need to be serious about the calling and the work of God in our lives. Are you? Are you fighting for the mission? We should be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these men. Father, I pray that your spirit would so equip them now to go back into their homes and into their communities and search diligently your purpose and plan for them. Father, I pray from these men, pastors and deacons, fathers and husbands would be born. I pray that from our children, churches would be planted and from our grandchildren, movements would be propelled. Father, I pray and I ask once again that New Mexico would become a center for sending out to the world churches and church leaders. I pray it start with the men in this room. That they would be serious about what you've called us from and what you called us to. And I pray this knowing that you'll answer. In Jesus' name, amen.